We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is a True Faith podcast. I'm Norman Riley. And I'm overjoyed to be joined once again by Newcastle United legends, Keith Gillespie and Mark Corby, (laughs) to discuss part four of Keith's career as a professional footballer. Keith, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Can't complain. Glad to hear it. Mark, how are you? Spot on. Spot on. That's what we like to hear. God, such positivity. (laughs) Um, So we ended part three just before the Barcelona game. Uh, So I think... You know, going into that game, we may as well talk about the, you know, briefly about the 3-1 loss to Wimbledon the previous Saturday. And, and then I guess if that had any impact on how you were feeling in the build-up to the Barca match, you know, were you, were you confident, fearful, confident of being picked, Keith? Um, you know, and just everything about it, really how it was coming into the stadium that night. The game itself, obviously, you played out your skin. Just just give us as much insight as you can, really. Well, obviously, it wasn't the, the, the best of preparations, losing losing the Wimbledon. Um, you know, that was a really really poor performance and especially going into your first ever Champions League game, uh, the club's first Champions League game. So, you know, we were uh, we were obviously, I'm sure, a little bit fearful of, of playing the mighty Barcelona. You know, you only had to look at some of the names that they had, you know, Luis, Luis Figo and, and Rivaldo, probably the, the two biggest names on that side. So I'm sure there was a little bit of fear um, going into that game considering how poorly we played um, against Wimbledon, but um, yeah, I, I, I sort of just remember arriving at the ground. Didn't did, I? Can't really remember whether I knew I was going to be playing or not. You know, the day before, or, or you know, it's a bit of a blur that that side of it. Uh, but obviously, fortunate enough that uh, you know I was picked to play. Um, I remember Tino actually turning up late um, for the game, and you know there was talk that he might not even play then because. You know he had turned up late, but uh, thankfully Kenny stuck by him and, and played him because it could have been a a different result altogether. But you know, just just the whole evening and you know going out and hearing that Champions League music, you know, it's what um, it's what you want to hear as a footballer. I'm sure it's what fans, you know, want to hear as well. Um, and you know, obviously uh, we know how the game went. It was just one of those those games where everything went right for me. Um, I think. Um, you know, Sergi, who was a Spanish left back, who was marking me. I think back sort of 1997, I, you know, you had the odd game on, on Sky Sports at the time. You know, not until, not like it was recently where you sort of had four or five on a weekend and you sort of just had the one here and there at times. So I didn't really know an awful lot about him. I'd seen him play in the Euros for, for Spain. Um, but it was a case of, you know, my, my strength was obviously my pace and, if I was quicker than the fullback that was up against, it was just a case of dropping the shoulder and, and you know, kicking the ball in front of me and, and, and getting there first and trying to get crosses in. And you know, thankfully for me, I was I was able to do that on a couple of occasions. And, and and Tino, who was you know absolutely unplayable that night, you know, managed to get on the end of him. But I know they came back towards the end. But I think in terms of the performance, it was a performance that probably nobody seen that coming whatsoever, especially you know, coming on the back of a of a defeat to Wimbledon. But I think it would have been an absolute, you know, travesty um if they had to come back and got something out of the game because, you know, we sort of took it, you know, to Barcelona and, and you know, for an hour, you know, we were, you know, head and shoulders above them and I know they did come back with two goals, but as I said, it would have been an, an absolute tragedy if we didn't win the game. It was 
absolutely spectacular um, from a fan's perspective. I had the great joy, and I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, uh, talking about one of the games that I was living in crew at the time. And uh, I was in these student digs, and in my room I had this TV that was, you know, if, if you picked it up now, you'd probably slip a disc in your back. Um <laughs> given the weight of it. And I had a, like an aerial on top of the telly. So it was really difficult trying to get a good picture because I think it was an ATV. Yeah. And uh, I, managed to, I managed to get a half-decent picture. And you mentioned the Champions League music there. Obviously, as a player, I can't even begin to comprehend what kind of a rush that must have been. But for me, hearing that, it immediately made me think of sort of six years earlier, seven years earlier, um, The in particular a season under Jim Smith, I think 1991, where we were just atrocious and that only being six years earlier, I couldn't quite get my head around it. And when the third goal went in uh, from that cross that you whipped in and Tino headed it in, I, I, I just I burst into tears. I absolutely burst into tears uh, with a with a complete emotional drain of all. It was just it was just unbelievable. And from a fan's perspective, I mean, one of the the greatest nights of my life. So cheers for that, Keith. Much obliged, mate. Um, Mark, <laughs> it'll be it'll be great to hear you how your your take on it, Mark. Ah, uh, it was. It was just what I was actually getting goosebumps when you were both talking there because it was simply it's a cliche, but it was it's what what dreams are made of, isn't it, Norman? Is it as a supporter, you know, you you just you you hope and pray to play against these type of teams. And as you said before, a few years earlier, we were you know on the brink of relegation to third division, man, you know. And um, one of the one of the biggest memories I've got is um, Oasis were in town as well. They were, they were doing uh, two nights at the. Um, the, the arena had not long opened, and I had tickets for the gig. I was a massive Oasis fan, and uh, but it was it was no competition. I know some people who still went to the gig and, and gave up the match, which I, I just couldn't get my head around. But I remember loads about the, the night. You know, I remember getting the, the, the bus, um, people getting offered here with, um, sorry, at Newcastle, and just people going in one direction, and the majority of us going, of the lads going to the match, and um, the noise. The, the, it was the noisiest, noisiest I've ever heard seen James's Park, and even that includes with the the ground extension. You know, it was just for non-stop. You know, probably about twenty minutes building up, building up to the game as well. It was it was like a, a throwback to the eighties where people used to get in early. You know, make sure they had a a good spot on the terraces, and the noise just built and built and built to the point where, as you say, when the the Champions League uh, music was played, it was like this is it, this is it. And, even watching it back now, there's obviously uh, snippets of it on YouTube, and you just can't help but, you know, go, you know, a little bit like Marty McFly going back in time, you know, and just just getting lost in the moment, and you know, things. The Gillespie um, Asprilla partnership that night was just absolutely phenomenal, and and Keith, you you mentioned uh, Tino being, you know, on fire. You were as well, mate. I mean. I think you're downplaying exactly, you know, you, you're seeing you drop the shoulder and you ran, but no, I, I think that the first one, the, sorry, the second goal, but the first cross in particular, you know, it, it sort of, it was a sudden burst of pace, wasn't it? Going past the fullback, you, you skinned him and whipped that ball in. And it was just, the, the, the noise for the first one was deafening. and the second one was just at a different level. But when the third one went in, because you, you picked the ball up in your own half, didn't you? And you just, you just went yeah. at him skinned them and it was just a perfect cross and I think everyone was just in disbelief and even even though Barca did pull two goals back and it you know it was you know nail biting towards the end it was relief but it was just one of those instant moments where you just thought I've just witnessed a massive massive moment in Newcastle United's history and as, as Norman said Keith you know you wrote your name in Newcastle history that night, mate, and I can't thank you enough. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think with the with the third goal, I think if you if you sort of see, or I mean, it's maybe about ten yards in my own half. I've sort of just dropped the shoulder, but I think by the time that I actually crossed the ball, I only have about three touches of the ball then, because mm-hmm. it was just a case of making sure I got it far enough out of my feet, and it probably could have went on. A little bit further to, to actually cross it but I sort of looked up I just I'd, I'd sort of just seen Tino was the only one in the middle there and to be fair to Tino he, made, he actually made a great run because he he, he fainted the dart towards the front and then held back yeah. and the, and, the, and the, the the defenders started they were ball watching then and, the, and they didn't know where he was and he was just in between them then but I think I, I probably crossed it earlier than 
than what I normally would have, but that was because I was absolutely wrecked, I think, you know, from, from, from the actual run. And I think even about a minute or two minutes later, the goalkeepers made an unbelievable save down low and from Tino uh, from across the, mm. that I put in again, um, and it could have been four. Um, so I, you know, as I say, I think when you when you look back on your on your career and you and you you know people say what's the best game you ever had, you want to be able to say it was in the Champions League against the Barcelona or Real Madrid. So I feel uh, I feel very lucky that you know I'm able to able to say that. Well, I'll tell you what, Keith, I'm going to massage your ego a bit more here, mate. Right, but and I'm going to give an opinion based on zero evidence, um, completely subjective. But I think. A lot of fans would say in football, there's something that you like to see. Floodlights, a midweek game, crowd really up for it, a winger flying down the wing, shirt out, like a slight winger whipping a cross in for a bullet. It is one of the most beautiful artistic moments in football. And uh, you did it against Barcelona, mate, so... There you go. I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm think I'm, I'm breaking up. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> God, can we stop now? Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move, we'll move on. Honest, honestly, we'll have to. Uh, we'll have, we'll have, we'll have, no, exactly. I, we'll have to move on. Otherwise, I'll be fetal on the floor crying in a minute. Um, so, post Barca, post Barca. You know what? Looking at the results, three wins from four games. Um, only a one 0 defeat, and that was uh, away at Chelsea, which you know isn't a disgrace. Yeah. Um, a 2-0 win over Hull, and a, and a fantastic draw at the Dynamo Kiev. Who, you know, that team. I mean, they yeah. spanked Barcelona a couple of times. I think they got to the quarters. Rebrov, um, Shevchenko. I would love to get your thoughts on that game because, again, we've mentioned back in the nineties and eighties playing away in Eastern Europe, there was always this kind of element of, of danger to it. And this particular night, the Ukraine had only been an independent country, I think, for five or six years, and. It was one of those places where I, I just I knew where it wasn't a map, but because it had been part of the Soviet Union for so long, I had no real idea of it. And and I guess that was a a really unique experience for you, and, and especially because I think what was the hundred odd thousand people there? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'd, I'd actually played against uh, uh, Ukraine for Northern Ireland, um, both home and away uh, before that. You know, being back out there to play against Kiev, um, so I knew it was the same actual ground. Um, so I'd actually played there before, but um, in terms of that night, you know, we started awful. So we did. We were two 0 down before before we even got out of the traps. Um, and then an unlikely hero, John Beresford, manages to get sort of two sort of goals towards the end of the game, and we probably didn't deserve a draw. It, it's 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 such a difficult place to go, Eastern Europe, to, to play football. Um, you know, I played it. Numerous times in Northern Ireland, you go to the likes of Moldova and you go to Latvia, you know, countries like this, Lithuania, Ukraine. It is such a difficult place to go and go and play your football. So to come away with a, a sort of 2 2 draw, um, you know, four points from a first six in, in what was two really, really difficult games, you know, was, was, was a fantastic return. And I think it was just a shame that. Um, you know the games in between, um, in between those that we we didn't get the the sort of desired results that we needed. Um, you know, PSV Eindhoven home and away was was disappointing, but you know we were we were very low on numbers, and I think even the PSV Eindhoven game at at home, I played centre forward that that night because we had nobody else. Um, Tina wasn't fit. Alan obviously was injured. You know, so when you're missing players like that, you know you are going to struggle. Um, but you know, to go away to Kiev and get the result that we did against a a team that was a, a top top team. Um, you know, they obviously qualified from the group. The, the, the disappointing thing from from our point of view was that they qualified from the group. Yep, we we drew away with them and we, we beat them easily at home. You know, so that was a sort of disappointing thing for us. But you know, it was uh, I think it was just incredible just to be involved in the Champions League because as, as you say, you rewind five six years. You know, nobody would have ever thought that that was going to happen. That you know, just avoiding the relegation to to the old third division then, and then five six years later, we're in the Champions League. I don't think anybody could have seen that coming. Absolutely not. But I tell you what, Mark, um, you uh, before we kind of move on to the the wider season with regards to the league and the obviously the FA Cup run, 
we'll, we'll wrap up the kind of Champions League. Yeah, what were what were your overall opinions of it? You know, obviously we saw the Barcelona win, uh, a good win against Dynamo, as uh, Keith mentions, with a with a frankly outrageous Stuart Pierce free kick. I think yeah. he hit it from about eighty five yards. Um, what 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 are your recollections, mate? And, and were you? I remember feeling really disappointed at the PSV results um, and being you know devastated that we were knocked out in the group stages. On reflection, you've got to think. Well, actually, it was our first time in the Champions League, and it was a tough group, and we weren't particularly in a good place at that point, you know. But but back then, I do remember feeling very sad about it. I think I, I share I share your thoughts there. Um, d- disappointed, but when you look at it. You know, as Keith mentioned before, he was playing up front in games. Um, we had Ian Rush playing up front in games. John Dahl Thomason, who, you know, was a bit of an unknown at the time, he was he was playing up front. It, it was it was a testing time. It was a, a transformational time on Kenny Daglish. Um, we were grinding out one nil victories um, as a rule. Um, I think it's one of those where, when you look back now, yes, it was disappointing not to get through to the next stage. But no one can ever take away that Barcelona victory away from us, you know. And, and it, as much as it may sound small time to um, some clubs, you know, when we sort of over celebrate games like the five 0 against Man United and obviously this Barcelona game, you know, when the anniversary comes round, you get you get a spring in your step. It's a it's a brilliant memory. But but it's it's true for for Newcastle because we haven't had many moments of uh, of, of success. So these sort of victories are that fondly remembered. That um, you do want to pop on YouTube and watch watch Keith Skin, uh, the fullback, and Tino bang them in. It, it it's it, at the time, yes, disappointing. But I think there was that much going on in regards to Daglish's, you know, loss of the strikers and the, the way he was changing the team. It wasn't really a surprise. Um, but as I say, sitting here now, what twenty? 23 years later, Christ, 23 years, um, talking about it. And you, you still get the goosebumps, and I'm still smiling here now just talking about it. And so you're disappointing, but you can't take it away. Absolutely. 23 years later, yet I'm still only 27 at all. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think just to quickly develop what you said there, you're right. You know, you look back now, and all I, all I think about when I think of Newcastle United's first appearance in the Champions League is that win. I don't think about the fact we got knocked out of the group stages. It's that that's irrelevant, yeah. you know, because because we haven't won a European Cup, because we don't get a, you know, we don't challenge regularly in the Champions League. That game is it's it stands out and it'll always stand out. So it's yeah, the ultimately the the fact we didn't go through is irrelevant to the to the memories that have been made um, based on that game. Um, so the league, you know, we. We did all right. I mean, we were we were in seventh, you know, um, by November with only three defeats in thirteen. We got tanked four one away at Leeds, um, but it just started going wrong. And for me, I remember watching the away defeat at, uh, at Bolton, and Bolton obviously I think it was the first season back in the Premier League uh, for for a while, and maybe Colin Todd was the manager. Mm. And I remember we lost to um, a Nathan Blake goal, and I just remember it being. A, a really bad performance, and, and for me, something that night just didn't seem right. And obviously, you know, the rest of the season, four in the league, four wins in the remaining twenty-five games. Um, Keith, you know, a, an easy question would be what went wrong, but you know, just tell me how it played out for you the rest of the season in, in the league. Alone, we're, not, we're not going to the cup run yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, you only you only have to look at where we finished in the league. I don't mm-hmm. know, was it thirteenth or fourteenth, yeah. maybe? Um, yeah. Is that what it was, 13th, 14th, maybe? You know, you sort of think the previous two seasons we'd come second. So it was such a sort of fall from grace that just the performances were just not good enough. Um, and, you know, I think at times you can't blame, you know, you, when, when you don't have Alan Shearer fit for, for a lot of that season too. Um, I know he came back, uh, you know, after Christmas, but, you know, he still found his feet because it was such a horrific injury that he had. You know, you, you had Tino out at times as well, and, and and we mentioned before that you know we're playing in rush up front, who who obviously you know is is in his um, elder years. Let's put it. Um, you know, I played up front as well. Um, so you know, you can you can blame things like that, but you know, just performances on the pitch were just not good enough. Um, you know, it, it it's hard to sort of 
you know, point out and, and, and say what actually went wrong. You know, there's, there's, you know, you look at sort of we beat Barcelona on this on the Wednesday, and you, know, you go to a, a difficult place like West Ham on the Saturday, and you you grind out a one nil a one nil victory, and John Barnes scored that day, and you know everything's looking rosy, and then you know you just get a couple of really poor poor results, really poor performances, and it affects everyone. Um, and you know, it, it just wasn't good enough the whole season. Then the, the rest of that season, I know we had the, the the joys of actually qualifying for the Champions League. But as far as league form went, you know that is your bread and butter. You know, and we we wanted to be challenging because we felt that we could we could challenge. Um, and you know, it just never materialised that season. And it was it was diff- it was disappointing. Um, I, I, obviously, the, the the cup run made up for that. But you know, when you talk about Finishing second and, and and challenging for the league ninety five ninety six and then coming second ninety six ninety seven, for us to sort of finish thirteenth fourteenth whatever it was, was just not good enough from from where we had come from. Um, you know we should have been still challenging for for things. It's interesting, um, the the Dalglish era that that season in particular, and, and you mentioned you know obviously the the Champions League, the fact that we had Rush up front, the squad had been overhauled in the summer. We've spoken about that. And I think overall, the, the Dalgish era was a you know it was a, a, a really poor one. But mm-hmm. me and Mark have done a, a podcast previously, and I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic to that particular era under Dalgish than, than he is. And one of my uh, let's say, let's call it excuses is the fact that we were in the Champions League. You know, you look at the league form, and as I say, seventh in November with only three defeats in the opening thirteen games, but we had games in hand. Because of the Champions League, it was, I think, like there was one stage there was like two or three games in hand on, on, on other teams who weren't there. And part of me thinks if we hadn't been in the Champions League, I wonder if that might have impacted on the league season. It, it probably wouldn't have done, but you know, the mind always kind of wanders and thinks, well, you know what, you've got a you've got a relatively thin squad being spread over some massive games in the Champions League, and then you're having to go, as you say, on the Saturday and play in a bread and butter league game. And I could see how it might have been difficult. But Mark, I'm sure you you don't share my sentiments, mate, and I'd love to love to hear yeah, how, how the season me, panel with you and what you thought went wrong. It was pretty disastrous, wasn't it? Uh, we couldn't we couldn't score goals. We couldn't buy a goal at one point. I think before Christmas, I think it was something like one or two goals in about eight games off the top of my head. It, it was just it was shocking, really. And you, you know, you, you've got you've got to look at it from a point of view where you know it's a results business, and if we didn't have that cup run. You know, you, you you might suggest that the fans may have turned on Daglish. Um and don't and don't forget as well, I'm sure there was a game against Barnsley towards the end of the season. It might have been over the Easter weekend. And that that was a real six pointer. If if we had have been beaten that day, we would have been right amongst it. And um but fortunately that day I think we won two one and uh one of uh, the reinforcements that had come in, Andreas Anderson, I believe, uh, scored that day. Um, which that's that's another question as well. You, you know, when you can you can question Daglish's wheel and dealing in the, in the transfer market, he got a fair few right, but he got a hell of a lot wrong. And you've got to wonder who he was looking at when 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 they found out that Andreas Anderson was around about his uh, eighth or ninth choice. You know, who was he going for, and why did he settle for Anderson? Who I mean, Keith. Is, Keith is not going to likely to uh, slag off any any of his ex teammates, but ultimately his supporter, he just didn't another yet another one who was coming from abroad who just didn't didn't cut it, you know. Um, Gary Speed, fantastic signing, but he he played him on the left side of midfield at first. Granted, that's where he started his career at Leeds, but by then Speed was a box to box midfielder. Um, and Andy Griffin coming from Stoke. Um, but but you know within weeks he was in the first team because he, he needed that sort of tough tackling uh, defender and then Griffin went on to have a half decent career in Newcastle and, and also did well in the Champions League a few years later. But you know you you've just got to look at the whole the whole se- the whole season and I, I genuinely think um, Daglish would have got a fair bit of stick if it wasn't for that FA Cup one. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I just I just actually remembered when you when you mentioned the Bolton game and about us actually having a few games in hand. You know, we're sitting in seventh. I th- we uh, when we were down to play Bolton and we stayed overnight. We uh, myself, David Barry, and a few other lads went to, to the UK Open in Preston to watch the the snooker final. It was uh, Ronald nice. Sullivan and uh, Stephen Hendry, and. Um, 
I, I remember we, we bumped into Jeffrey Archer. We were sort of at, you know in a <laughs> private room, and, and I couldn't believe Jeffrey Archer's knowledge about football because he was actually able to tell us that we had such and such games in hand, and if we won them, we would have went to whatever position it was. <laughs> that's something I didn't actually know that Jeffrey Archer was sort of that into his football, but, but he, knew, he knew that Newcastle, if they won their games in hand, could have went, I can't remember what place we would have went to if we won them, but I, I, it's just something that sort of came into my head there, that Jeffrey Archer's knowledge of uh, Outstanding. of where we were in the league and, and, and where we would have been if we'd have won our games in hand. Is uh, was that was that pre Nick or um, post Nick? Had he just uh, had he spent his time inside? Or was it, uh, <laughs> no, I, um, I think that was pre. I'll tell you what, lads. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I just I, I was just I was just going to say before we actually do move on. Sorry, Mark. I, I'd like to um, just mention Gary Speed quickly. The reason being that Keith and this is no disrespect to you. Uh, you know, we've worked together for a while now, and, and I love you with with great depth, mate. Um, but. Uh, Gary Speed is probably overall my favourite of any Newcastle United player. Um, I, I, I just absolutely loved him. I loved his work rate. I loved his professionalism. I loved the, his headers were just beautiful to watch. And, and he was just a, a wonderful, wonderful servant for the club. And I was gutted when we saw him, even though he was, what, 36, I think. Um, and, you know, he's... His death was just a, a huge tragedy, and, and I, I would just like to, I suppose, get your opinion on what he was like as a teammate, because th- there has literally been nothing but praise for him, um, and it would be interesting to hear you, I suppose, your take on him. Yeah, at Speedo, I mean, nobody had a bad word to say about Speedo. He was the he was the ultimate pro, uh, fantastic guy around the dressing room, you know, great knowledge, and you know what a, what a great player as well. Um, you know, f- right from when he was at Leeds all the way through, going to Everton, he was fantastic there. And then um, at Newcastle, you know, incredible player. I, I mean, I was fortunate enough to that when he left Newcastle, he came to Sheffield United and I was at Sheffield United, so I had him as a teammate again. Um, you know, so, you know, the whole thing surrounding his death, you know, I'll never forget hearing the news. And, and you know, it's, it's one of them that you sort of still think about now and you sort of... Still say to yourself, you know, is that true? You know, I, I can't believe it because, you know, just such a such a nice, down to earth per- person who, who, who never had a bad word to say about anyone. Um, but a great pro um, and uh, and a great teammate. And and you know, as as we say, such a tragedy that um, you know what what happened to him. Um, you know, and as I say, it's it's something that I still think about. You know, regularly. You know, when you see sort of the anniversary of his death coming up, and it's just something that plays on your mind for quite a while afterwards. Again, you know, about how it all sort of came about. You know, so not as I say, nothing but good to say about Gary Speed. And and if you speak to anyone, um, they would say exactly the same. No, not not not. God bless his soul. Um, on a, on a more positive um, note, I do recall being at a talking with your good self a few years ago for uh, Martin Hardy's Touching Distance book. And am I right in thinking that when you played up front against Blackburn, I'm sure you said that night that would have been possibly your best goal for the club. W- would that be right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, <laughs> there's a funny story attached to it because uh, I'd, I'd about ten or twelve friends um, who were over um, to watch the game, and I told them I was playing up front, so they they thought um, they'd have a few quid on me to score the first goal. So lo and behold, after about ten minutes, I scored. I scored sort of. I think it was Tamir kids by. I had a big long ball and I controlled it on my thigh and just volleyed it into the far corner past Tim Flowers and. Um, we drew the game one each, but I remember coming into the players' lounge afterwards, and I thought the boys would be happy, and and they all had these glum faces. And I says, well, "What happened? Did you not back me?" And they said, "Well, when they were filling in, you know, the fixed odd coupon, they filled in the box <laughs> below by mistake, and it was Des Hamilton they backed instead of me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so no, they were a little bit gutted, gutted with that one, but um, <laughs> they had they had the same luck as me at gambling. Besides the <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, well, we can we can move on the cover. And I tell you what, just before we do quickly, you know, but we've kind of glossed over the league because there's not really much memorable about it. But um, we mentioned Bolton earlier on. Let's yeah. talk about quickly about the Bolton game at home. Um, that was the game that Tamiri Ketsbaya absolutely lost the plot, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, what what were you playing in that game, Keith? I, yeah. I couldn't check. Yeah. Uh, 
I played. Uh, what I, I played, was it like oh, it was, on the pitch? Uh, it was mental, you know. It was. Uh, I mean, obviously, it was a winner. We won two one, but I, I, I do actually sort of remember that game as if we were sort of battering them, and it felt like we just couldn't get, you know, the winner. And then all of a sudden, there was a bit of a. I think Alan headed one at the back post. There was a bit of a scramble, and and, and Tamuri's obviously put it in the back of that. And <laughs> I think everybody knows what what followed <laughs> what followed after that, and. You know we're 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 so delighted to score in the last minute. You know it's it's such a great feeling to actually score in the last minute. You know it, when it turns out to be the winner, and you know, everyone's sort of trying to jump on top of him, and he's just pushing each other, pushing everyone away, trying to get his boots off. The top went off. I think yeah. I think Pistone, it was Alessandro Pistoni went and got his top or his boots or whatever it was. But I think afterwards um, in the change room, uh, Kenny went absolutely mad with him because this was a whole. This was all directed towards Kenny because Tamuri wasn't playing. He wasn't happy. He wasn't playing. And Kenny went through him after the game <laughs> in the dressing room um, because, you know, it was it was such a weird reaction to scoring a winner, you know, that you just want to throw your boots off and your top. And I actually remember, <laughs> I actually remember from, from, uh, from the kickoff, the ball came to him and he had all the time in the world and he just absolutely <laughs> rifled it into the far stand. You know, it was just full of emotion, and you were just like thinking nobody around him at all. Just hit it maybe 50, 60 yards across the pitch into the far stand. You know, and it was uh, it was a crazy reaction. But um, as I say, Kenny, uh, Kenny, yeah, Kenny obviously right. put him in his place after the game. Definitely not the um, type of player that you would think would have gone on to have quite a successful career in management because he always gave the impression as a player that if you said the wrong thing, he would jump on your face and just chew it off. Um, but obviously, obviously, that's uh, that's not the that's not the case. And I can only imagine one of Kenny Dalglish Rolligans like I bet it's full of fury and anger. Yeah, um, absolutely, I, I think uh, to to Murray because I, I used to uh, teach Tino some of the sort of the words and. Uh, Tino would have sort of been calling him Baldy all the time. And, uh, <laughs> Tino had no idea. Tino's bald himself, isn't he? But Tino, Tino had no idea what he was saying. And uh, Samuri wasn't happy with him every time. <laughs> uh, that was a hell of a slaphead that he had. Um, anyway, um, we'll, go on the, we'll go on to the cup run. And I'll come to you first, Mark. Um, obviously, a formulaic away win at Everton 1-0 with an Ian Rush goal from an inch out, I believe. Um, it, it's, it's the Stevenage game. For you, this was quite a seminal moment in Newcastle United's recent history, and I'd love to hear you talk about that again. And then, and then obviously, Keith wants Mark spoken to get your take on the whole Stevenage. Well, what would you call it? Soap opera, I guess, yeah. uh, would be really interesting well, as well from a from the inside went down, point of view. Um, we've touched on this before, but it was uh, the last time we would see Tino in the back of my shirt. He hobbled off, never to be seen again. Um, so it was quite disappointing that his his last goal was actually that hat trick against Barca. So. Um, it's quite sad that his his last couple of months was just nowhere near the levels that he, he had performed in that game against Barca and in a few a few games prior to that. But um, but yeah, the Everton game um, we, we scraped through and we won nil. Remember being an awful game against a, you know a pretty average Everton team. We got through the Stevenage game. Um, for me, it was the moment where the media simply lost lost any love for Newcastle United. Um, it, it was it was quite embarrassing um, to watch it unfold, you know, on the telly um, on Newsnight. Um, I know the um, I don't like to talk too much about a certain newspaper called the Sun, but they seem to be in the element. They were promoting Stevenage as a football club, as a you know having a, a chat with any of their players, the management, the coaching staff. And it was just a, a, a real love, love affair for for the um, for Stevenage, and as I said before, that the media just turned against Newcastle, and I think it's never it's never been the same since by the by the Nationals. Um, regarding the game, I, th- I was I think that was the game um, Shira may have started for the first time, and um, and, and obviously we took the lead, mm-hmm. um, but you, you could just sense the whole country wanted us to get beat. They wanted a shock, and that one one draw was a shock. And um, you, you could see we, we scraped through in the replay as well. Um, so a, a pr- pretty embarrassing, Norman, um, as a supporter. Um, but we're, we're through the fifth round, so did we really care? Probably not. Uh, Keith, how was it for you? Um, as I say, Mark, I think, encapsulates it perfectly there from a fan's perspective. I, I just remember thinking, 
what is going on? Yeah, when Kenny Dalglish pops up on Newsnight, you're thinking the world's gone mad. But then, you know, it's 2020 and we've got Donald Trump as president now. So, hey, <laughs> maybe this is a precursor for it. But um, what uh, what was it like, you know, as I say, inside the club? And do you think it affected you in any way? I don't think it affected us. Um, you know, it sort of drove us on a little bit. Uh, although we, we did draw the first game. You know, one each. But I, I remember obviously, obviously, you, you know, Kenny Douglas was was full of emotion there because he was obviously there at Hillsborough, um, on on that you know sad day, and there was a whole sort of talk about um in terms of Stevenage Ground, could they, yeah, you know, could could they get the fans in? Um, and he was obviously, you know, quite worried about that side of things. And I, I think um, Stevenage, from what I remember, I, I, th- I think Stevenage sort of agreed that they would play the game at St. James's Park at first and then they went back on this and um, you know, Kenny obviously wasn't happy about that because you know of, of, of what had happened in the past but you know it, it was what it was you know we, we, we went down there and um, as you say Alan you know, I was lucky I actually put the cross in for Alan's, Alan's goal after about three minutes and he sort of thought right well yeah, you know, that's the perfect start for us. We we can go on and win this game, and I think Giuliano Graziola equalised. But it was one of them that we, um, you know, it, it it is a banana skin. You know, you only have to look at results over the years. FA Cup, um, you know, you can't just get freak results. You know, even going back to Newcastle with, uh, with Ronnie Radford all those years ago, and you know, Alexis Sutton United in, in the Conference League putting out the, you know, Coventry who were the who were the the cup holders, you know, so there's been many, many, um, you know, um, upsets over the years. So you just don't want to be on the end of one of them. Um, and, you know, we obviously got the, got the draw. Um, I don't, we weren't sort of desperately clinging on just for a draw. I think we were going out to try and win the game, but, you know, they, they more or less, you know, clung on and, and, and you know, we couldn't get the winner. But I think the replay, um, we won 2-1, but, I think uh, we, it, it was comfortable enough because we were, I think we were two 0 up, but they might have scored sort of late, very very late on, um, and just made a, a nervy last few minutes. But at the end of the day, it was it, it was job done. Um, you know, we, we we got through to the next round, and, and you know we were just happy. You know, we just weren't. We, a lot of us just weren't happy of the antics coming out of of Stevenage at the time, and I think that was maybe more their manager than anyone um, who was. Paul Fairclough, um, so we just weren't happy with that. So we, we were just happy that we uh, managed to get through and uh, you know end the next round. No doubt, I remember Fairclough coming in for a fair amount of stick. That's for sure from Newcastle fans. Um, and obviously, Stevenage did dump Newcastle out of the FA Cup in 2011, I believe. So there you go. They got their revenge of sorts, I suppose. Um, so Keith, you you played in. Um, all the matches other than the quarter final against Barnsley and, and, and obviously the, the final. Um, but, you know, I think we'll go into recollections of, of the semi-final um, against Sheffield United first because, I, mean, I don't know if this is the same for Mark, but for me, the opportunity to get the FA Cup final was just, it was huge. It was something as a kid that I'd always, you know, the FA Cup, was it was magical, as cliche as that sounds, in Newcastle. I don't think Newcastle had been in a semi-final since they actually reached the final in 1974. I might be wrong then, Mark will correct me if I am. If I am. But um, I just remember it being a really tense game. The, the atmosphere seemed tense. It was quite overcast, if I remember correctly. And um, it was just a huge relief to get to get the win in. Um, I don't know, what, what what's your take on it? Yeah, um, you know, as, as you say, the only game I didn't play was the Barnsley game. And that was... Uh... Due to um, a head injury that may have happened in Dublin, um, so I can th- I, I can thank I can thank Alan Shearer for that one. So I uh, that was the only game that I obviously didn't play, but the the uh, the semi final was was a huge affair. You know, Old Trafford, you know, obviously fantastic stadium, and the atmosphere was was incredible. And, and and when we got that goal, you know, the noise that that um, that day when Alan scored was was absolutely incredible, um, and it was just. It wasn't a it wasn't a great performance by us. You know, they had some chances as well. You know, we could have maybe gone on and scored more, but you know, it's it, it's always a tense game when, when it finishes one 0 You know, you're you're biting your nails right to the very end. But it, you know, we we were just happy that we managed to get through. You know, we were we were obviously 
you know, very strong favourites because Sheffield United were a club that were in the in the championship at the time. So, you know, we were strong favourites to actually win the game. So it was just a, a relief to actually, um, you know, get to the final. Um, you know, as I remember, it was a, it was just a fantastic occasion. Um, Sunday afternoon, I had loads of family over at it, and you know, just to uh, just to you know get through and think, right, we've got an FA Cup final to, to look forward to because, as we know, the, the league form was 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 very poor. So it it was sort of something that you know gave us a little bit of hope that season, the the cup run. Did you have a pain afterwards? Um, well, we, we had it straight back on the. Uh, on the coach back up to uh, back up to Newcastle, so I may or may not have had a few uh, few sherbets that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Mark, continuing the cup run, and uh, obviously we we beat a you know a decent family. I say, I'm sure, I'm sure David Kelly and Liam O'Brien might have played that day for them. Yeah, and obviously both were um, yeah. legends in their own right. For um, as we mentioned before, you know the the transformation under Kevin Keegan in the earlier years before uh, before Keith arrived. But um, but yeah, it, it's funny because uh, the goalkeeper was a lad called Steve Simonson who ended up being, um, I think he might have been the record transfer for a goalkeeper probably that summer. And uh, he's a lad who, who I used to play football with as a kid. So it was quite surreal supporting your team, watching a, watching a lad you, you, you grew up with uh, playing football with, you know, trying to keep uh, keep Shearer and Cole out. So a little, little story from that. But uh, the Barnsley game, I mean, you know, everything ticked that day. Uh, we beat them comfortably 3-1. But the, the Sheffield United game, as you say, I mean, um, everyone loved going to Old Trafford anyway. And I remember um, we had that, that triple tier stand right down the touchline. It was just bouncing. The, upper tier, the, the actual upper tier was bouncing. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not good with heights. So I was fortunate that I was in the bottom tier of that. But you look, you, you, you would look up above you and you could see it bouncing. You were thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not there. But the, the noise was incredible. And it went up another notch when, when Shearer scored. But... Um, we didn't play well. Keith's right. We didn't play well that day. I remember um, Wayne Quinn went through on goal a couple of occasions and went up signing him a couple of years later. Uh, but he, he went through. that was that was probably my fault because uh, right. I think I let him go because <laughs> he was on my he was on my side of the pitch. So I think that was me. <laughs> my fault. So thank you. Again, going through similar move. He went through it, and he seemed to. I don't know whether he tripped over his hairband, but um, he just. He just, he just had no control over the ball, and um, but hey, we, we got through. It was a scrappy goal in the end, um, but what, what an occasion! It's, it's, it's funny as well though, because a lad I travelled down with, um, half-time pints, and he decided to try and sneak his back into the stand, and he basically got marched out, and he got, he got arrested, and the, the coach waited for him, and uh, the, the, the police station just wouldn't let him leave. He had, he had to travel, make his own way home, then go back down uh, to court on the Monday. So. It was an absolute nightmare for him. All that over trying to sneak a pint in the ground, you know. But uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant memories, and obviously we had the cup final to look forward to. Absolutely, and that's where we'll head to straight from here, because obviously Keith, you missed the final. Just tell us what happened, I guess, and and you know how how it obviously felt missing out on such a, a huge occasion, and and also why. Alessandro Pistoni was selected at right back that day to play up, come up against our, our Mark Rover. Mars, where's the, tell me the log, tell me if there's any logic in that. But yeah, just just how it was for you, mate. Well, um, I actually got injured at, uh, at White Hart Lane uh, about three weeks before the final, um, and I went in after the, after the game. And, and at, at White Hart Lane, they actually have a you know where they where they uh, it went uh, down onto the running track. I sort of I landed on the on the grass bit. And, and twisted my ankle, um, so I was sort of carried off and, and and straight into Spurs. And they had an X-ray machine there, so it was X-ray and everything, and it, you know it seemed fine. So um, I was sort of struggling for the next sort of three weeks. But I remember having a fitness test um, the day before the final because I knew I knew I was going to play. If I was fit, I was going to play because um, Warren Warren Barton ended up playing on the right side, I think, of, of mm-hmm. right wing. So I knew I knew that I would have played, um, and my, my fitness test consisted of um, of just trying to block tackle, and uh, that was it. Two seconds, the fitness test was over because I knew I wasn't I wasn't right. Um, I didn't actually know that there was actually a broken bone in my foot, uh, which was to give me problems for when I came back after 
uh, for pre-season and everything and you know it was something that would, would never show up until you had an MRI it never shows up in an x-ray so it was um, it was so disappointing you know I obviously played my part in, in most of the games you know all the way through to the final so to actually miss out and you know you're just sitting in the stand at Wembley that day watching the game and just wishing you could be out there and you know we were we were very average that day um, you know Arsenal were just Arsenal were just too good you know they were a fantastic side with 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 great players uh, over Mars and was it Anelka scored the two goals um, you know I know how good good those players were so yeah, Pistoni played right back. Um, you know, to be fair, there's not many people could can keep up with Mark Overmarsh. No. Um, you know, certainly nobody, nobody had the pace in in our back line that was as quick as him. So it was obviously going to be uh, going to be uh, hard for for Pistoni to do that. But you know, he was he was sensational on the day. Um, Overmarsh for me, um, he was. It was such a difference, um, you know. So it it was it was very very difficult to watch for me, uh, because you know obviously I wasn't involved because of injury, and you know the, as I say the, the the worst thing for me was that I knew that if I was fit I would have played, um, so you know everyone sort of you know it's like growing up and and, and watching, you know it's not, obviously not the same nowadays where you. You grew up, you grew up, and you were watching FA Cup final day from nine o'clock in the morning all the way through, and that's what I grew up watching. And, and here, I, here I was, chance to play an FA Cup final, and it was taken away uh, from me with 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 injury. Um, so yeah, it was it was disappointment, but I don't think we can have any any qualms about the result that day. You know, the the better side won. No, absolutely no doubt. It's interesting you saying that there about, you know, watching the FA Cup final as a kid and it being on from sort of the coverage start at nine in the morning, you're just being glued to the telly all day and it being this huge occasion. And I think it's almost like the, the late 90s were kind of a, the pinnacle in terms of, of the FA Cup and how it was perceived because obviously you have a couple of years later, Man United not putting a team in because in the World Club Championship and then the bigger sides, the so-called bigger sides starting to feel weakened teams and it kind of... For me, it took a it took a little bit of the magic away, um, and it has picked up in recent years. Don't get me wrong, but I think I can only just imagine being the age of that you were then, what twenty two, twenty three, and and missing out. I mean, God, it must have just been absolutely devastating for you, mate. So, my my sympathy. And I'm glad you got to win the uh, league cup a few years later. Yeah, to make up for it. Um, but Mark, uh, well, your, your I mean, recollections I of the really day, mate. On much on what Keith said about the game, you know, we didn't really play that well. I think we had. I think Shearer might have hit the post. Yeah, he did. He hit the post, didn't he? And uh, Davizaz clipped the ball at one point. But apart from that, we were never really in the game. Um, I wasn't there. Um, I missed out on a ticket. I was absolutely devastated. Um, I think we had around about 32, 33,000 season tickets that, that year. And uh, I think we got about 26,000. And I just couldn't get my head around the, the, the you know, the, the allocation of how, how the club, um, give tickets to people I knew and not me. It was, it, you know, it, it was horrible. It was a horrible feeling knowing that you weren't going to go and see your team at Wembley. I ended up getting there the following season, but, um, you know, it, it's one of those. I just remember watching it in, in my mate's garden. He, he bought his telly out because it was such a glorious day. And he bought his telly out into his garden and sat there in a blazing sunshine. And it was just, it was just massively disappointing not to be there. And it was hugely disappointing not to win it. Um, but in a roundabout way, you know, I think there was you could sense with the selection and also the likes of um, Darren Peacock weren't even named in the squad that day. Dagnish was really starting to rip, you know, properly starting to rip and apart uh, Keegan's side now. And um, you know, the following summer signings would, would would certainly be interesting. Absolutely, we'll move on to those signings quickly before we end this podcast. Um, pre-season ninety eight ninety nine, obviously a really disappointing ninety seven ninety eight season. Um, kind of tempered by the cup run, but then again, the disappointment of losing the final so convincingly. And Dalglitch goes out and he signs Didi Haman, who at this point was a German international, and Nobby Solana, who would be in Boca Juniors, where Diego Maradona had absolutely loved him. Um, you know, in, we know how well Solano turned up when you asked Lola Mitley. Um, and obviously, the French World Cup winning legend, that is Stefan Givarch, signed as well. Um, but yeah, real, real kind of upheaval. And the money that Dalglitch was allowed to spend suggest would suggest that he, he was you know that the club still had faith in him um but we know that's not how it worked out he was sacked two games in. and Keith I think is this the summer where you almost moved to Borough yep 
Uh, I was in the last year of my contract. Uh, the club had offered me a new four-year contract, but I sort of just wasn't really happy with, with the term. So I was just you know, trying to get a better deal. Um, so then I got a, um, a phone call that um, they'd accepted a bid from, uh, from Middlesbrough of uh, $3.5 Um So I went down and... and it was um, Newcastle were actually playing at or at the Riverside in a in a preseason tournament. And bear in mind, I was I was I was still sort of struggling. I was I was training, but I was really struggling with my with the injury that forced me out of the cup final. Um, so I went down and um, spoke to to Brian Robson, who I obviously knew from Man United, um, and we agreed we agreed terms and everything. And I was to come back the next day for um, to do the medical. So I, I I came back the next day and and was pretty much unveiled as a, as a, as a Borough player before I'd even done the medical, and uh, I, I went and had the medical and then on, um, I remember Ke- uh, Kenny Daglis was interviewed after after the preseason game and um, he knew absolutely nothing about it about um, the club accepting the bid, um, which obviously wasn't is it, not something that. You know, Newcastle covered themselves in much glory there because, you know, when the manager doesn't know a player's leaving, you know, you've got real problems. Um, so I remember um, that was the Saturday. On the Sunday, I got a phone call on the Sunday night, and it was Brian Robson, and he said that I'd failed the medical, had a, had a broken uh, bone in my foot, my tailless bone, which is quite an awkward one to um, to break. So um, they obviously, you know, couldn't couldn't go ahead with the transfer. So I rang Kenny Daglish and explained to him that um, I'd I'd failed the medical, and that's, I sort of went, "No bad news, I failed the medical." And and his words straight away was, "It's not bad news for me. You're still in my plans," you know, which was was fantastic to hear. But a couple of days later, which was, you know, the worst part was uh, the back of the Chronicle, um, said that my career was in doubt and that I not I might not ever play again. Jeez. And this was put in the paper. I didn't know at the time, but I found out by by Freddie Fletcher. Oh. So I obviously went mad with the club. I remember them coming down to the. I was up in the treatment room and I looked out and I seen them coming. It was Freddie, nice. Freddie Fletcher and and Freddie Shepherd, and I sprinted down to where they were coming in, and uh, he would have been always one of them, Freddie Fletcher, to uh, to shake your hand, and I knew then that he had done this, and he he put his hand out the the to um, shake my hand and I just waved the, waved the hand away so he knew then that I knew but what the club then tried to do was they'd taken the four year contract off the table and they said that my career was in doubt and they, they tried to uh, just offer me a one year and they said look it's a bit mm-hmm. of security for you you know and I'd, I spoke to the physios and, and you know specialists and, and, and they said that the, you know the, your thing or your uh, the bone will heal and you'll be fine you know, so it was it was really dirty tactics from from Newcastle, and it was probably at that stage that I probably thought I, I I can't see a way back. You know, when the club sort of go behind your back, and this is my livelihood, and and you know, bear in mind as as I say, I'm I'm 23 years of age at the time. You know, I should have a whole career ahead of me, and yet you've you've got um, the chief executive trying to scupper that. So. That was um, that was a really disappointing period for me. Reminiscent of some of the behaviour, I guess we see at the club now. It's uh, it's absolutely shocking that they did that, and it's you know it wouldn't be surprised that it soured soured a relationship. Um, yeah. We'll we'll wind up in the, in the next couple of minutes, and so what we can do is quickly just go over the fact that obviously you know this there's clearly something not right. And two games in after two draws, Charlton and uh, newly promoted Charlton at home, and then at, at Chelsea away, two draws. Daglish has sacked him. Mark, I'll come to you first, mate. Your thoughts on, on the sacking and the appointment of, of Hullet and uh, we'll finish off with uh, well, those. On those I, I wasn't surprised that he was sacked because, I, you know, as a supporter, I did think the previous season was, was, was horrible. It was just such a, you know, despite the Barca win, despite the cup run, it, it just papered over many, many cracks for me. And I, I, no one was enjoying Daglish's football by the end and you could sense the signings that were coming in it, it was just a huge huge change wasn't it and it wasn't as enjoyable and, but then again as we mentioned in previous po- podcasts you know he had to follow Kevin Keegan in five glorious years you know um, but I think it was a surprise the fact that he was sacked after, after two games of the season um, they probably should have done it in the summer 
Um, there was, there was, there's no sense in sacking a manager only two games in. Maybe something happened behind the scenes. Maybe, you know, you got to remember as well as that one of them draws was a it was a decent one down with Chelsea, and um, it was it, it was just one of those where it wasn't a surprise. And then quickly when Ruud Hullett was appointed, you were excited because he he did well at Chelsea. Um, you know, but. There was stories that he was a little, he had a massive ego and he was falling out with people left, right, and centre. So, was he the right man for Newcastle United? <laughs> well, at that point, you, you were hoping for this sexy football, weren't you? What he promised. But um, look, I, I think Dagnish's sort of dour football and his, his character, even though we're led to believe he was a great man manager and great fun, we didn't see that as supporters. Um, and you, you, you could say, it was a little bit of a, a relief, relief for me. I was relieved that he had, he was gone. And um, as I say, Hullet had been successful at Chelsea. I'd won them, um, I think, the FA Cup and the League Cup. I, I could be mistaken, but I'm sure he won some trophies. And, you know, it, something had to give, I think. And um, I was pleasantly pleasantly happy. Yeah, I was, I was happy with the point with Hullet. Keith, your um, thoughts, we'll sign off on your thoughts on Dalglish being sacked and... Um... I'll tell you what, we'll leave the uh, Rudd Hullet discussion until the next podcast because obviously it'll be really interesting to get your in-depth take on what he was like whilst you were at the club um, on the ego, especially as Mark mentioned. But just, I guess, just how you felt when when Kenny was uh, when Kenny was sacked. I, I mean, when when Kenny sort of went, you know, I was obviously uh, I was injured, um, you know, with a with a broken bone in my foot, um, you know. But I mean, I I, I was disappointed because. You know, in terms of, I, I know what you say. In terms of the the, the fans, yeah. they don't see what what us players see. You know, we we respected them. You know, when when you talk about um, Kevin Keegan and you're thinking, how do we follow him? And you and you pluck Kenny Douglas, you go, wow, you know what a big name he is. You know, so it it was just, you know, as you say, it's such a hard act to follow in terms of the where where Kevin had actually taken the club from and where he'd taken them to. In such a short space of time, that that was always going to be tough to follow. But you know, the players loved Kenny. Um, I had a, a fantastic relationship with him, so you know, I was I was disappointed to see him go. And you know, as you say, bear in mind, you know, after drawing away at Chelsea, you know, decent result. You know, two games in, you know, it's 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 such a, it seems like such a stupid decision that you get two draws. I know the first game of the season you expect to beat a, a Charlton at home, but you know, we hadn't we hadn't lost. <laughs> you know, we got a good point at at Chelsea. You know, it just seemed a strange time to actually to actually um, sack a manager. You know, because I think they they probably had it in mind to sack him, and 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 were expecting us to go down to to Chelsea and get beat. So then, when you get a sort of credible draw, they think, oh well, we'll just have to see it through and sack him anyway. Um, you know, so I I, I was disappointed, but. Um, you know, I suppose that's just football for you. And the previous season, um, you know, apart from as you, as you say, Barcelona and, and and obviously the cup run. I think if we had won the cup, you know, that would have sort of been absolutely incredible because I, I don't think you could have sacked the manager two games in if we'd have won the cup um, when when we haven't lost. Um, you know, so it, it was disappointing because I say I had a great relationship with him, but you can sort of understand as well where the club were going because you know the football obviously wasn't as as exciting as 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 it was when when uh, when Kevin was manager yeah i was very surprised that he uh, that he went but it's really interesting to hear that obviously i guess as a squad you still you still believed in him um and you know it seems like a good place to end this uh, this instalment and we'll we'll definitely move on i'm very as i say very um excited interested to hear your take on Rod Huller too to all intents and purposes, this seemed to have been a divisive figure when he was at Newcastle. Um, and we'll leave it there then, lads. Thanks ever so much to you two. Huge pleasure talking with you again. Listeners, massive thanks to you. Especially a big thanks to our patrons for your ongoing sponsorship, which allows us to do things such as this. Um, cheers, everyone, and we will speak soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.